You're listening to the Pinball Podcast. Okay, and welcome to the Pinball Podcast. It's episode 103. Today is Sunday, April 2nd. I'm Jeff, and this week I am joined by Jessica. Jessica, how's it going? Going all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, it's my birthday, it's your birthday, so I'm spending Woo! it. I know, and so I'm spending it with you and tens of other <laughs> listeners. Uh, be... Don't don't report how many listeners we have. The IFPA is going to tax us for each of them. Oh. Snap. But you know what? They may charge tax, but you know who doesn't? Nifty LED. That's right. Well, to, I mean, certain laws may force <laughs> them to collect taxes, but in general, if you order from them, they don't. What do you What do you know about Nifty LED, our, our funny friends from Southern California? Oh my gosh, I know they've got balls. They sure do. I know that you were working on a project today using some of their fine products. I was. I have been installing a Twilight Zone kit. Um, I've had the kit for a little while, just haven't had time to get around to it. And uh, being it the magical combination of a Sunday and my birthday, everybody basically left me alone. So I went down and decided to work on that. Um, I'm taking some pictures before, during, and after, and it's pretty incredible how big of a difference it makes. And uh, with the Nifty kits, one of the nice things is is that they've gone through and the kits themselves are really nice obviously you get all the bulbs you need and they're mapped out and everything but uh they did it so that it's all brighter and it's all cleaner and clearer and all that that the leds bring but there's no purple invasion either <laughs> and what i mean by that is just that the colors they picked are the appropriate colors for the game every once in a while you're going to have some colored bulbs and stuff but they're appropriate um generally if it's a yellow bulb it's going into a yellow insert it's not being used for gi for example um when you pick a kit you can choose if you want them to be like w the warm white for the gi or the cool white for twilight zone i went with cool white and it's looking pretty sweet so but yeah they've got leds balls as you mentioned rubber uh, all sorts of other little trinkets and such, and free flat rate shipping. So, over over how many dollars was that? One hundred dollars. One hundred dollars. I bet it's pretty you're cheap under a hundred dollars too. Yeah, you're gonna get there though because the bulbs are so fab. <laughs> That's what the kids say, right? Yes, yes, Jeff. That's what the kids say. Okay, then I should probably use something that the old men say because that's pinball. <laughs> um, hey, hey, now. Those nifty guys, well, nifty, let's just use that word. There we go. They're nifty. nifty. Uh, no, so check them out, niftyled.com. Um, I know that's the worst promo they've ever received, but <laughs> the pictures that I'm collecting are going to be worth their weight in gold. They're, it really does look worth great. Worth their weight so. in bolts. Yeah. And you know what? I re really realized um, Twilight Zone is a beast to do an LED cut on. Because that is very layered, that game. <laughs> Ramps and toys and plastics and all sorts of stuff. And a, a mini play field. It's pretty complicated. So I have faith that um, you can handle it. Thanks. Thanks. That feels good. <laughs> that, that, that's refreshing. Because you know what Don would have said? He would have said, you know, 
probably something along the lines of why don't you just pay someone 50 bucks to do it or I don't I don't know he, he, the, the encouragement wouldn't have been there that's all I know but I miss him in anyway. his encouraging ways yeah <laughs> um, we have other supporters or friends of the show I want to talk about a little bit later but they kind of mix with what I've been doing in pinball so I'm going to save it because I want to hear first what you've been doing so what have you been up to um I actually have made a very concentrated effort to not go out to as many tournaments as I had been. I know this is shocking. This is usually the part of the show where I jam pack it full of, you know, 10 events I've been to in the past two weeks. Um, but after I broke top thousand on IFPA, that was my like only ranking goal. I, get, I, was, I don't give a shit anymore, so I'm like, okay, I don't need to actually worry about going every weekly tournament um, and subjecting myself to being in this very competitive environment that I don't always enjoy being in, so I kind of chilled out on that a little bit and have just been hanging out and playing pinball with friends, so Bowen was here last time we talked, and that was amazing. Um, I have to say that Taylor, I just listened to the new This Flippin' Podcast episode, had a giggle fit worthy of being on that episode with us and Bowen. Um, yes. It was uh, fantastic. I'm trying to remember what set him off. It was, was it, it the bride? Was the bride. We'll, we'll get yeah, to that. And I'm sure we're going to have some laughs about that a little later when we jump into that. Uh-huh. But. Yeah, we'll save that. I'm not quite geared up for that yet. <laughs> Um, so I went and hung out with my friend Stacy, who I haven't hung out with for a while. Um, we went and got some tiki drinks and then went over to Quarter World and just played like a boatload of Aerosmith because neither one of us had played it before. Um, it was okay. Like, I, I didn't hate it. Um, definitely need to lose the music because it was wearing <laughs> on me very quickly. Um, and we had... The, the little saucer that's supposed to kick the ball into the toy chest kept getting, like, the ball would get in there and then it would just sit there and then have to go into ball search and then eventually just dribble the ball out. So that was really yeah. disappointing. Um, but there there were some okay shots on that game. I mean, we played it for an hour or two and just tried to get the hang of it. So um, a couple, you know, we had a couple of really good games and got a bunch of replays, but um, I didn't you know, I wasn't in love with it, obviously, but, um, sure. yeah, and then um, I had Jack Danger from Dead Flip was in town in Portland, uh, visiting with his wife and their kiddo, so we had set up um, a fundraiser for Pinball Outreach Project for POP, we did a live stream yeah. from there, um, and it was sponsored by Pizza Jerk, which is an amazing local pizza place, thank you guys for the support. Um, and we raised $1,089 for Pinball Average Project, which was fantastic. It was super fun. We played a bunch of weirdo games on Paragon and Embryon, um, had some of the Bells and Chimes PDX members out, and I have to give a huge thank you to Double Danger Pinball for um, pushing us over the $1,000 mark kind of near the end when we were trying to reach our goal, and it was the end of the night. Um, those guys are amazing, and very much appreciate the support from them. We did a little quarter world after party. We played some location pinball. We did Seabar and Blackbird. And um, on Sunday night, Jack's last night in town, we did a stream from Seabar. 
and I kind of put the notice out to all the Portland pinball players who had been doing their team league matches at other spots to come by after. We had a really nice crowd that came out and a bunch of people hopped on the stream and um, it was just a fun, fun evening. Yeah, that was really good. It was a nice weekend getting to hang out with them outside of like a tournament that we're both playing in was fun. Very cool. Yeah, it's awesome that uh, Double Danger chipped in on that. I was able to visit with them down at Texas Pinball. Um, Robert's awesome. He's, He's amazing. Good dude. Yeah, I just I, ordered their I new shirt that dropped. Yeah, yeah. The they always bring a pretty packed booth full of shirts and pins and such. Um, but they bring that TX sector along with them. And if they're ever going to a show and uh, you can get out there and see that thing, you really need to. So it's, it's a TX sector that they have hooked up to a huge speaker system. <laughs> and that game rocks. Like mu the music sounds like a, it kind of sounds like a classic NES game. And um, the bass, when it's going through a big subwoofer uh, along the soundtrack, it just sounds a million times better. Uh, the whole time you're playing, you're just so into it. Like, this game is awesome. <laughs> I, it just, it's so cool. So it's its seriously one of the highlights of any show you go to if they have that along. Nice. Yeah. So what have you so, been up um, to in pinball, speaking of Texas? Yeah, so most of my stuff involves Texas. So other than that, just league play. And I won't get into the details of league, but um, just this last week, um, at league i competed on a varcon which is pretty rare it's a basically it's one of the rarest pinball machines out there but it's built in an upright cabinet that uses mirrors so you look straight forward and you're seeing a reflected image of a play field that's down below in the bottom of the cabinet and it's um it's kind of crazy you use joysticks instead of flipper buttons and uh i'm sure there's youtube videos and stuff on it but it's only the second time I've ever seen one, and this one's on location nearby. Um, it's kind of neat to have that. And the place itself, uh, it's one of those retro arcades, so it's just full of games from the 70s, 80s, and uh, they might have a couple from the early 90s, but I think the cutoff is kind of late 80s for them. And uh, the pinball stuff's the newest stuff they have, but it's, it was fun to do that. And then, yeah, like I said, you mentioned it. As I was down at Texas Pinball Festival. Um, just kind of, as everyone knows that's been to it, the show's great. Uh, they have tons of games. The games are in fantastic condition. Um, pretty much by this point, all the big names are coming from all the big companies. It's just turned into, um, it, it's kind of like a second pinball expo at this point. So... The show's enormous. The venue's really nice. Um, and, I don't know, a lot of people are able to go there, and it's not a super expensive place, which is nice. Um, and there's about, uh, this isn't even an exaggeration, there is a restaurant or just fast food place every 50 feet for about 50 miles. <laughs> so it's super easy to um, exist, I should say, <laughs> down there. <laughs> So sometimes you step out of those convention centers and it's like four miles to a McDonald's right. and that's like your best food thing. So anyway, not an issue there, but the show itself was 
pretty big this year um, as far as newer games. So I'll, I'll just focus on that, and I'll just touch on what I thought about the stuff I played. I know most of the stuff you've probably just only had an opportunity to see online, and we've talked about it a little bit, but... Yes, so I'm going to ask I'll you just a lot of questions as we go. Yeah, so, yeah, I'll answer questions, and then obviously if you have impressions on it, even based on what you've seen, let me know, and here we go. So, um, one of the games I made sure to check out in day one was uh, Spooky's Jetsons. Well, it's actually the pinball company's Jetsons that Spooky is building for them. The art by John Chad. In their booth. Yes, and I was going to say, you walk up to it, and it, it looks great. And this one had the toys in it, so when it was unveiled, we talked about it on the show for a while, um, but the toys are in there, and it, it kind of filled out the play field. But it looks great. Um, as it is, and they said it was going to be, it's, um, it's definitely on the simple side as far as rules go. Uh, kind of like hit um, certain objects a certain number of times to get, get them going. But it's super fast. Um, it is pretty. And it's definitely something that you put a kid up into it and, you know, they could, they could start hitting ramps and, and making stuff happen. So um, I was able to kind of play through that and exhaust the code. It was What's fun. What's the sound package like on that? Couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> That's the problem. Cool. I really, every once in a while, I could hear it as I was collecting a family member doing the part of the theme song. So, okay. Uh, you could just kind of hear parts of that. I think parts that your brain was expecting to hear somehow would cut through the noise. But it was right next to... A whole bunch of other games, obviously, and um, it was kind of in a high traffic area. And Rob Zombie was turned up louder than the Jetsons was. So. Okay. Uh, but from what I hear, it sounded nice, clean, and clear. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't hear the continual background music, and I, I would love to know what that sounds like. I imagine, like, in my head, it has some of those great, like, retro future space sounds, or the yeah, sound like when one of the little ships starts to take off, like, the like that, that kind of music. <laughs> like, <Ooh>. yeah. <laughs> Like, those sound effects would be so great in that game. So in my head, they're there. I was just like... Yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I just couldn't hear it. Um, but, it, yeah, it was it was exactly kind of what we expected it would be. Um, and I know it's still a little bit work in progress on that. Uh, next one was uh, right next to it, Domino's. So that's been out and kind of making the rounds for a little while. But that was my first chance to play it. I thought it was really fun. It was, again, super fast. Um, I thought it had some kind of fun rules that on some of the multi-balls, uh, in order to do the multi-ball correctly, you would have to hit shots in a certain order. So you'd have to hit, like, um, the ramps going from, like, left to right or whatever. Or, like, one of the modes is building a pizza, and you'd have to do the ingredients in a certain way. It was just kind of nice. cool. Um, again, nothing compli complicated or crazy there. It was just super fast. I didn't expect it to be as fast as it was. And I think just in general, spooky games play very, very quickly. So Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen that one. I know it's... Well, I don't know if there's one in Portland. I don't know of one that's out in the wild. Um, but the, just looking at it, the Noi bit kind of looked similar to the Ghost in America's Most Haunted. Was that a pretty similar mechanism? Or how did that work? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like that. It's a little bit of a stand-in for okay. it. Um, he spins around and stuff. But, uh, yeah, like the little horseshoe shot that goes around was pretty quick. But I liked it. It was fun. Um, I think the art on it is great. I, I love the – I think the translight on it is just 
awesome. So, um, I guess to round out the Spooky 3, this is a game nobody saw. We just saw the teaser for it, and that was Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Right. And um, just kind of what they're going for there is more along the lines of the Elvira game, where he's essentially like the main character, but it's not about him and his music. So you're not collecting guitars or you're not playing uh, song modes that are integrated into the tracks of his music. Instead, it's like you're kind of doing this creepy, um, haunted, nightmarish castle type of theme. Kind of like how Scared Stiff works, but Alice Cooper's your host, I guess you could put it. So it's going to be interesting. Um, what I hope is kind of like where people have struggled to understand that Dialed In is more about a dis- like a disaster game. It's a disaster like theme, for sure. Yeah, but my, my worry is how people focus on the cell phone, that if it, this Alice Cooper thing is that they're just going to focus on thinking it's just another rock game and it's Alice Cooper, they're not going to realize that, no, he's kind of the host for it. It's not like, um, say, Metallica or ACDC, something that's about the band. Well, so. that's what I thought when I first heard it. I was like, cool, another music pen, really? Right, right. Um, but Alice Cooper is a red, like, human slash character that you know persona that he's built up for himself i got to meet him once and i was just like oh, like <laughs> i had to stop myself from doing the wayne's world bit. <laughs> uh, he's kind of he's kind of got that elvira thing going on a little bit like he he's hosted stuff he's acted he's he's a character right, right. so yeah um so i'm I, I thought the art looked cool that they did show um I'm I'm excited to see what they do with it. Uh, one thing I could say though is being in the presentation when they unveiled it, you could feel that the team was just super excited about nice. it, and it was like genuine excitement. They didn't have to be in there saying like, "All right, let's amp ourselves up for this." They you could tell that it was like killing them not to talk more about <laughs> it. It's just not the right time. So um, they weren't going to be announcing it, but Alice Cooper has this charity. Uh, golf tournament that was going on and one of the prizes is an Alice Cooper pinball machine so oh. it was going to get announced so they had to get out in front of it so that's very the day cool. after text yeah and they had trans lights at the event so they had to announce it otherwise it was going to get announced for them so. yeah yeah um okay uh the next one and I think this is probably what was the big surprise of the show and it was Houdini um for those that haven't kind of followed what was going on with American Pinball, they originally set out to make Houdini that, uh, or finish Houdini that uh, John Papaduke started. And as, you know, predicted, once they tied themselves to John Papaduke, people freaked out. And how can you work with that guy? And he's a crook. He owes us money. And anything he does for you, he's just... It, it was drama as predicted and understandable drama. Wait, to finish Magic so, Girl, right? Um, no, Magic Girl, the Houdini, they, I think, I, I, I'm going to have to go back and look, but essentially John Papaduke was the original designer of Houdini for American Pinball. Okay. And people were pissed off that they would hire him to do that. So when he was, so they found a way to kind of like split off from him. And they had Joe Balser come in and redesign everything from scratch. Um, so everything that's there is their design with Joe Balser. They they essentially expunged everything John Papaduke related. Um, and that also meant that they changed the art package up as well. 
um, which is a little bit of bummer because if there was one main criticism is that the art's a little bit cheesy, but um, essentially they had four months from the time Joe Balser came on till Texas Pinball Festival, and they were able to get a prototype, two prototypes at the show, and that's it's kind of crazy. They they essentially went from nothing to two working and um, playable prototypes for people to check out. And Joe Balser was there, um, as well as some of the other American pinball guys. And the first couple times I stood in line, when I was next person to play, it broke down. <laughs> and um, both times they were software related, and I understand that. They, they were doing like c code updates and stuff throughout the day. They'd plug a laptop in and make bug fixes and stuff. So it was kind of cool to see them just making fixes on the fly and keeping it going but um, it wasn't until I went back the third time that I was able to check it out um, it was interesting I don't know I don't know what to really say uh, about it because my time with it was pretty short but uh, it's kind of got that ball lock like Aerosmith has where it throws the ball into a trunk um, except for that it throws it really far on Houdini <laughs> it's like three-fourths the length of the play field um, it, it does some really neat things uh, you know how some of the games will do the reverse flippers, so like Mass Hysteria on Ghostbusters, right. left button does the right flipper, and so a lot of people cross their arms. Well, that's in the game, but they also and they call that um, reverse flippers, but they also have what they're calling <laughs> inverse flippers. Very and original. Inverse flippers. Okay. Yeah. So inverse flippers, uh, if you have your hands off the buttons, the flippers are up, and you have to press them to make them go down. Oh. And. Um, there's a time when you can choose to do inverse flippers or reverse flippers or inverse and <laughs> reverse flippers at the same time. Do you get more points and for so, doing inverse reverse? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a reason for doing it not beyond just the madness of what it is. But So you have people that were standing there crossing their arms to try and deal with the reversed stuff. But then they're also trying to make their brain work that they need to press the button down um, to make the flipper drop and then let go to make it flip up so it, it was crazy I love it. so yeah and it's it's perfect for the theme so um i think joe balser did a great job with wizard of oz and um you know there's lots of tweaks to be made so the next time this game's out um in a, in a revised state it'll be a little bit easier to judge but man for four months well done it was like all i gotta say i, I they went from something that people are angry about um, <laughs> to someone you kind of want to cheer for. So that is, that's a huge turnaround. And it's impressive how far they've come. And, you know, I hope they succeed. Same. Um, yeah, I saw yeah. videos and pictures of it. And, man, it looks cool. I want my hands on those flippers. Um, I am, you. I think you know, I'm a huge Magic fan. Um, yes. I have like original art posters from magicians who were performing like late 1800s, early 1900s, when people still thought that, you know, they were witches and stuff. And I'm fascinated with that entire period of time. And I would have loved to have been alive then to witness some of this stuff as it was happening. And um, Houdini is like a super fascinating character. I actually, I went to the town in, Apple, in Appleton, Wisconsin, where he grew up um, as a kid when his family had came over um, and immigrated to the States and just like explored around his childhood home. 
Um, most of the buildings are torn down, which is really sad, but I've been to his gravesite. I've, like, watched documentaries and, you know, read a lot about him, and he's a fascinating character, and I love that they're taking, you know, some really cool escapism-type things and incorporating them in from what I've seen slash heard, and, um... You know, I've heard mixed responses to it, but I've also heard that they're only 20% complete on the code, and that's crazy. Right. Um, for the video that I've seen, um, it looks like it's playing well. It looks like it's got better code than when most new stones come out straight off the bat. So. Yeah. Yep, I was pretty surprised at how how well they've done for the time that they've had. And it's not just that it's only been four months. They've also just had all kinds of, like, just turmoil with distancing themselves from John Papaduke trying to deal with right. that. So, uh, yeah, kudos to them for what they've been able to do. But don't you think that, like, they should have Houdini's abs as a bash toy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> well, not not sleeping Houdini's abs as a bash toy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not oh okay. Oh my gosh, not okay. <laughs> I do, I do love that they incorporate the reverse arms as like a straight jacket nod, and yeah. um, they have a lot of fun stuff going on. And it seems like, you know, the game design is coming from the point of view of someone who has an understanding of Houdini and including the seance kind of stuff. Um, it would be better if like there was a mode where you were debunking the people who were trying to conduct the seance. <laughs> Um, but I'll let, I'll let that slide. Yeah, the the whole uh, magic is just so good for pinball. Totally. Um, as, a, as a theme. And then obviously Houdini's top dog for that. But uh, yeah, it'd be fun. Like, if you think about it, um, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but uh, Penn and Teller would actually make a great pinball theme um, where there's interaction between the DMD and the play field to like explain the trick or something like that. And I don't know, you could do a lot of crazy stuff with them as well, but yeah, that would be, I don't fantastic. know. I'll, I'll take it up with them. Yeah. Any, any way you can get your magic, I guess. Right. <laughs> so. so that was Houdini. Um, again, not a whole lot to say about it except for, I hope they're successful. Um, and I can't wait to see it when it is in a more polished and refined state. Because um, they they do they were always already pointing out things that they were gonna work on so um let's see go so I got my here? first crack <laughs> well I got my first uh, try on Aerosmith and you played it so I think I understand what you were saying um, and I was able to play both the premium and the pro and like I guess. The praise and the criticism for Aerosmith is kind of the same thing. Is it's really it's a solid game. The layout's fine, but there's nothing that's really exciting, right? Like it's 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 kind of like a remix of John Borg's last few years in pinball. It's got the Metallica right ramp. It's got the entire Kiss left side of the layout. Uh, you know, it's just it it it's almost like uh, Sparky from Metallica is now the toy box and it's it's not bad like those are good shooting games um but from the first time i played it it felt like i'd played it before yeah. and and that's kind of the thing um i love how the ramps felt on it i thought they were cool i like that they brought over kind of that mustang rule where you can delay your multi-ball 
which is important because you accidentally lock crap in that game <laughs> all the time because uh, the toy box magnet throws it into the lock shot and the right pop bumper does as well. See, um, I never had that problem. I had the problem where the magnet just dribbled the ball every time. It was just like, and like fall off. Yeah, I, I, that's my most common drain when playing was off that stupid magnet. Um, I, I don't, I wish that that toy did not have the magnet in front of it, to be honest. I'd, I'd be fine with it just being a bash um, to light the lock and not have it flinging the ball around because the, uh, like I said, half the time it would put the ball in the lock or down the middle. Um, I, I just don't like the lock shot at all. If the, my biggest criticism of the game is that lock shot sloppy. Yeah. Um, it's completely open to the side, so unintended shots go into it, and it's like, well, that was no challenge. Unintended shots and then go into it more than actual shots into it. That's it. And then clean shots to it bounce out yes. all the time. Or it's, ugh, I just don't. <laughs> it, it, that part felt a little unfinished. Like, it should be closed off on the side from s slop going in there. And the entrance should be more reliable. So, I don't know. I, I think it'll be one of those games that ultimately is just kind of okay. Peop there, it'll have its super fans. Like, there's people out there who love Kiss. Um... I think Kiss is actually on one of the lower end of Stearns, but um, it's definitely better than Kiss. It's not as good as, say, Metallica, uh, but there's going to be people who love it that much. It's fine. It's not offensive in any grand way, <laughs> gameplay-wise, but... But it's know. just kind of there. It, it, it's just kind of... Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it just feels very middle of the road, um, both in terms of what it ended up being and effort into it. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like they challenged themselves very much on it, yeah. but it was very it, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's got some neat stuff going for it, so it's not a game I'll pass up. If I'm walking by it, I'll stop and play, um, but I won't be, like, excited and go out of my way to chase it down or anything. Right. Um... Next up, we can talk about Alien. Yes. So they had three of those there. Um, they they were still all, uh, all three of them were prototypes. So um, production models still have not been seen yet. But uh, this one had a pretty long line. I, it had a lot of buzz, and despite having three games on it, uh, three games on the floor, the wait for it was substantial. Um, it might have been the longest wait game there. Really. Um, that or dialed in. Uh, those are the two that have the longest lines for it. Uh, or, or Houdini. Houdini's line was always pretty long as well. Um, especially considering that it wasn't Houdini wasn't out there until midway through the first day. So, yeah, got it. It, it wasn't it wasn't out as long. Uh, but yeah, Alien had a lot of hype and buzz around it. And uh, the first time I played it, I walked away like just scratching my head, like. What just happened there? I, I felt like I just clunked every shot, oh. and and I I didn't know if that was the game or if I just didn't get it at that point. So I went back a couple of more times, and it just has a non-standard shot geometry. And for some people, that's gonna frustrate them, and they're gonna go crazy, and they're not gonna know how to handle it. For others, it's gonna challenge them in the right way, and they're gonna think it's seriously the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and I actually, over time, started leaning towards that this is a fantastic game. Um, it needs a lot of tightening up, and it still needs some work on it. But it has 
I can't. I couldn't think of a game that has more shots in really? it. Really? Um, I yeah. I was talking with um, like Don and Tommy and Taylor and them, and we were trying to think of anything. And and I think Don's suggestion was closest. Is it's got about as many shots as like a Judge Dread. It's just every angle you look, it seems to have something that you can shoot for from it. And the upper flippers, each one has five or six shots that it that it can make, and shots that are only makeable from those flippers, and they have to be precise. So, um, but what I was saying by non-standard geometry is that there's that spot on the flipper that seems to always find the ramp uh, across tons of pinball machines, and these ones they just seem to be a little bit earlier or a little bit later. And uh, after a, a few more plays in on it, I started finding them a bit better. Um, so that really helped. It looks great, sounds really cool, um, but it's going to be polarizing for sure, um, based on the just the, the way the geometry works on it. But it was cool. Like I, I was impressed. I I wasn't running out to put money down on one or anything, but um, I really hope someone around me gets it because that game could grow on me uh, a lot more than it already did at the show. See, I'm interested by that. Like anything that's going to be different or unusual I find fascinating and I really want a chance to play so I'm hoping yeah. we get one here I would I mean it looks beautiful I love the little commercials that they've done for them were just handled so well I love the style of it and it looks cool the sounds are cool um yeah I would love to I'd love to get my hands on that one too yeah and so People make a big deal that Ripley's not in the game, and it is a bummer. Um, Stern owns the rights to Ripley and Pinball, uh, so don't look for a patch to come in later to bring her into the game. Um, it's just not going to happen, but you you honestly don't really notice it because there's so much else going on, um, and the modes were plenty cool as is, but yeah, it's definitely different. I just I don't even know what to compare it to at this point, and that's a good thing for me because, like you, we've played a lot of different machines. Um, it's nice to be surprised. Yeah. Have you played Full Throttle? Does it feel... Oh, see, f so Full Throttle, I've, I've played that one quite a bit. Um, and Full Throttle for me is a game that, if it's set up just a little bit wrong, it's a total disaster. Because mm -hmm. so many shots flow one to another. Um, I felt Alien was a little bit more forgiving in that aspect. But the first time I played a Full Throttle, it was perfectly set up everything did what it should and i was like hey this is a pretty cool game the next time i played one it was just clunk 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 and i i think the second third time i played them it was the same way and then i finally got on a good one again in the end full throttle i think just had a cool first impression but i really cooled on that game quite mm -hmm. a bit um i would i think aliens vastly superior both in terms of layout and what it's trying to do with its modes and stuff. Nice. So. That's good to hear. Yeah. I don't I don't hate full throttle, I just it I I don't know. I, it's a neat experiment to me. Yeah. <laughs> so um did you get to try so next? Oh sorry, no you go in your order. I'm not gonna jump ahead. Oh okay go ahead. <laughs> I I'm not doing any specific order so you're not gonna <laughs> disrupt anything. Uh what what were you worried about here? Oh, not worried. Did you play Total Annihilation? Yeah, and that's actually <laughs> next on the list. <laughs> Total Annihilation was my favorite of the like custom or homebrew games, and I liked it a lot better than 
um, any of the production games even. Sweet. That game is so cool. Um, it looks amazing. I don't know what to say. Because the videos are out there and you can very, very clearly see what it's going to do. But when you're standing in front of it and that sound was cranked up, so it was loud. Um, and the light show on it is amazing. And it's fast. Like, you can't you can't snooze for a second or, or the ball is gone. Um, but yeah, oh man, that game was a blast. I kept coming back to it. And uh, he, Scott Denise, he was the one that created it. He either needs to let someone rip off his ball lock mechanism design that he has with the drop targets. He's got these in-lane drop targets that capture the ball and um, you can shoot a second. Have you seen how that works by any chance? The ball locks on that? No. Okay, so okay. I, watched a sh I watched a little bit of the video but not a ton of it. Um, I was just like squeeing at the sound package and like it just looked yeah, really cool sure. but I didn't have a chance to sit down and watch the whole thing. Okay. But I'm intrigued. Um, so to explain how it works is on the right side of the game, there's some inline drop targets. There's three of them, and behind them, there's a scoop. And what happens is uh, when one of the drop targets is down, you knock the first one down, um, the next time you shoot it and hit the second drop target, uh, the drop target that you pass pops up, and it traps the ball there. So then the ball is between two drop targets. And then the next time you do it, it bumps that ball up further, up the line of drop targets, and it traps behind. So now it's got two balls trapped behind <laughs> between three three drop targets. And then the next time you do it, it'll shoot the ball up into that scoop and it'll start your multi-ball. And it is the coolest visual effect. And it happens so quickly that you don't notice how it's trapping the balls as it goes through. Um, it's so cool. So, like, if you can find that on video, okay. and for the people listening as well, go check it out. It's so satisfying when you do it. And then during multi-ball, all those drop targets come back up, and you have to knock them down to get access to the jackpot in the back. It's just, it's totally genius. And the the game itself is just a blast. So I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I would love if he found a way to get that into production, whether someone buys the design from him, or he finds the right partner. I know he's, he's friends with Spooky, but I think if he could do a small run of those games, they would they would definitely sell. Um, it's great. It, it is really, really fun what he's done. I hope he brings so. one to the Northwest Pinball Arcade show in Tacoma. I would love, love, love to play it. And when you're talking about like the drop yeah. targets, like in-lane drop targets, I was thinking, there, I was like trying to put my finger on it. I was like, I know there's a game that does weird stuff with drops and I think it was Outlanes, but it's Aftor. Have you ever played Aftor? Yeah, yes. that game is awesome. I love that <laughs> <laughs> We had one in Portland they, for like a week. Yeah, that game is cool. They had one at Pinball Showdown last oh. year, and I walked in like, yes, Aftor, because <laughs> Don and I have talked about it before. And yeah, that game is crazy. Um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a cool game. So. If Total Annihilation keeps going around to shows on tour, people go play it. It I know sometimes it's it's tempting to be like, oh, Dialed In has a short line right now, or Aerosmith has a short line, but those games are going to be making the um, the tour on these for years to come. 
you can still go play games from the 60s and 70s. They don't go away, these big production games. Someone's always going to own them. They're going to be around. You may not be able to see Total Annihilation forever because Scott's going to move on to other projects. And when he goes to these shows, I don't think he's going to want to be bringing multiple games. He's probably just going to bring whatever he's working right. on. So get out and see it before he stops taking it around. And Scott, please I'm bring super it happy to Tacoma. <laughs> 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 um, what's that? What's that? If he's listening, please, please bring it to Tacoma. Yeah, get it out there and get it around, Scott. And then someone with deep pockets is going to say, I'll uh, pay to do a run of 100 of those games and let's make some money together. Yes. That's... That would that would be great. Um, so sticking with the the custom stuff, uh, I also was able to check out Buffy, and that is they had both of them there that they have, and um, that's a rethemed Swords of Fury. So if you've played Swords of Fury, yes, it's cool. And then they've just customized the the sound and art, the art and everything. So I won't go too deep into that, but those machines look great and they play great. So very fun to see that. Um, and then next to that, we had a Wizard Blocks. Um, Wizard Blocks is running off the P-Rock platform. And I won't go too deep into that because this flipping podcast does. And they actually interview the guy who made it. So that's their latest episode. Check that out. Um, he talks everything from the genesis of the idea to having it at Texas Pinball Festival. But I was able to play it. And to me, I'm a, I love Pat Lawler. And that's always a game that... I've wanted to play and to be able to do that um, was kind of one of those little mini pinball dreams and to, to be able to have it fulfilled was, was awesome. I, I camped out on it for a good 10 minutes and really enjoyed what I saw there. Fun. So Very fun. Yay. Yeah. Um, I'm almost done, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, know you're not done. This one, yeah, this one was an announcement. Um, the third Elvira pinball machine was yes. announced. Uh, El Elvira, Cassandra Peterson, she was at the show along with, uh, well, everybody else in the pinball <laughs> world. But she was in the panel with Dennis Nordman and Greg Ferris, and they talked about their work in the past and stuff that they had done together. And at the very end, they talked about how they are indeed doing Elvira 3. So excited. And, uh, yeah, it'll be produced by Stern. And Dennis Nordman is the designer on that. And Greg Ferris will be doing the art. So the last two times they've teamed up, we've got some beautiful pinball machines that are a blast to play. So I, for one, am extremely interested in this and super happy that's happening. Um, when I was talking about large large lines at the show, I, I should have mentioned the longest <laughs> line at the show was the one to see Cassandra. Yeah. It's no exaggeration. It was a four-hour line. Um and she hung in there like a champ, signed stuff. And I noticed she'd take a second to talk to everybody. And um, it was cool. I rode in the elevator with her and talked to her for a couple minutes. <laughs> That's uh, how to cut the line. <laughs> it, you know what, though? It was interesting that she actually kind of got out and was walking around at the hotel and stuff. Because uh, just as easily as she could have hid in her room and then come out when her time was there and then hid again. But um, it, there was more than once that I saw her walking around. So... It was cool. But, uh, yeah, so we don't know a whole lot about that. Um, I had heard about that it was being announced, and uh, they were saying that originally it was going to be the last DMD machine from Stern, but it's going to be LCD, so that's great. I'm really excited. So, I love Elvira. She was yeah. 
childhood crush continued to adulthood crush continued to pinball crush continued to just really rad female figure in pinball she's such a cool piece of pop culture um and it's cool that she's crossed over into pinball movies tv comics uh, she's you know toys and Close, clothing yeah. yeah and she's been relevant for a very long time so it's 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 neat that they're going to come around and do a very modern pin uh, together so okay we're almost <laughs> through this uh next one was the uh, zombie league baseball and this was a pitch and bat game another dennis nordman joint um that he was doing with zombie yeti the artist from ghostbusters and it was a pitch and bat game that nothing special except for it just looked and played awesomely that sounded it was funny um there's two versions there's the zombie baseball one and then there's the standard baseball one uh gizmo games is making them um i was able to play with lee from pinball supernova and we had a blast on that thing man he did beat me i'll admit <laughs> that right here but i got him back when we played the getaway later um but yeah it was it was so cool i could see that doing very very well in bars or family fun centers and stuff but um for a bar game i can't think of things many things that would be much better than that um definitely look at pictures of that zombie league baseball by gizmo games um very cool. It was funny, like, so many people that I follow on Instagram or whatever were posting pictures of it, and I get a message from my friend Zach, who actually was the one who prompted us to do our Gottlieb list. He, his brother worked on that game, and he's like, oh, the game that my brother's been working on is at Texas. And I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> what a small pinball world, but yeah, the art looks super cool. Yeah, and it, and from what I could tell, it was really well received. Um, it's five thousand dollars, so it's Ooh. not cheap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so that that's, but it makes sense. It's gonna be a very small run, um, and the art and the finish on that game was fantastic. Um, the little runners at the top, it was it was great. Uh, when you get a home run, you kind of wanted to take a lap yourself because <laughs> it just felt so good. But. Uh, I really hope that they sell a bunch of those things. Um, kind of like Scorgasm Master. It's just a, it's a fun pinball-esque game. Um, but yeah, it, it really well done. Well, and that's not the most shocking price tag of the show. No, no, it's not. And we're one away from talking about yeah. that. But before that point, I do have to talk about Dialed In. Yes, you do. So... Yeah, so I've been on a dialed-in pre-order list for a long time. Like, I, I got in fairly early, um, kind of for two reasons. I'm a big Pat Lawler fan. Um, and just every time I saw someone playing it, it just looked more fun than it should. And uh, Steve Bowden went and did the uh, stream with the Buffalo Pinball guys at the Jersey Jack um, factory, and that really kind of cemented a lot of opinions that I had about it. So I was really excited to play it. And I was like, okay, I'll go give it a try and decide at that point if I'm going to hang in on my pre-order or if I'm going to reevaluate it. And man, from the first play, I felt really good about the deposit I had in on it. Um, a lot of people have asked me what I thought. And it definitely does feel like a Lawler game um, where, you know, <laughs> the rules... Are, and progression are pretty similar to a Pat Lawler game, um, where the modes are 
important, but you can you can kind of uh ah jeez, I don't even know how to explain it. Um so like if you play Twilight Zone, you can kind of just time out your modes or whatever and, and just go towards that wizard mode for having progressed with them. Um, you can kind of do that on this, but if you complete the mode, you're able to collect a little SIM card, and that's a better way of playing the game. So it seems like what Pat's done is he's, he's kind of put his normal progression style in the game, but he's given more incentive for finishing the okay. modes. And on top of that, he's put a little bit more flow into the game. So Pat's always had a really good like left-right ramp type of combo in his games, or... Um, you know, ramp to upper flipper type of combo, and it has those, but this one just has way more uh, flowing from one shot to the next. So I was t saying to someone the other, uh, just a day or two ago, this one feels more Adam's Family than Roadshow, um, as far as the shooting goes, um, where things tend to kind of flow one into the other, but it, it's more flowy than even the Adam's Family. I don't, I, he's never made a game that flows this completely. Um, so if you've always thought that Pat Lawler games were too much stop and go for you, this might be kind of your entry point. Um, if you've liked his stop and go, this one still does stop and present stuff on the screen and then have you line up stuff. So it still has his flavor. He's just kind of integrated a little more speed and, and action into it. Uh, so it, it it feels like Pat Lawler, but it's definitely Pat Lawler evolved. Um, <laughs> he's let... Yeah, he's let time inform him a little bit on on his design, so it's really cool. Like, um, it, again, it, it's not like something you've played except for yeah, the upper flipper is important for a um, few different shots that are there, and I don't know, it's just really nice. Like, it does a lot of stuff. It sounded great. I it had the headphone jack, so I plugged in, and I was happy with everything as far as the sound and stuff nice. goes. So, I'm excited. Um, it's pretty far along i think they said it was like 70 percent done code wise maybe even higher but um yeah they're doing some cool stuff with that game that's awesome i know they've had um so. kind of like a test run one at free gold watch in san francisco for a while my friends have been posting pictures with yeah. it and everyone seems to love it and that one's actually headed to the pinball museum seattle pinball museum um so i may need to plan a trip up there um yeah. I'll be there in a couple of weeks, actually. They're doing um, the Emerald City Open Match Play Tournament. Um, so I'm going to go up there for that at Flip Flip Ding Ding. So I'll probably see if I can squeeze in a little bit of time the day before to go play some Dialed In. I'm really excited to play it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that one has the headphones or not, but bring a pair just in case because it, it is nice to be able to hear it. Um, and people have been talking about long ball times and stuff, and uh, I think it, it can play that way, but those games at the shows are usually set up not super steep, and um, they usually have the coils turned down a bit. So I already know, when I get it, I'm going to open up those outlanes, and I'm definitely going to steepen up the game so it plays faster, plays harder. Um, you can make just about any game harder than, than it was originally designed by doing that kind of stuff. So I'm not too concerned about that. Um, I'll make I'll make it tough, and I'll make sure it's not a super long player. So yeah, I'm excited for what it's going to be in the end. I'm excited for you.
You're going to hear and your normal one day. I'm just going to show up to play it for a few hours. <laughs> Everybody should be excited for me. <laughs> but, all right, all oh, right. God. I, oh, God, we have to talk I, about this. All right, so aside from all the other cool games I saw and rare stuff, and they had two Orbiter ones. I mean, Texas Pinball has an amazing lineup of games. you got to get out there at some point. I'm talking about you specifically, as well as the big you of the <laughs> listenership. Um, yeah, get all it's the just positivity great. out now because... Oh. Yeah, because here oh, it comes. And can we, can uh-huh. we place like, a really big like explicit language warning right now? <laughs> Small children, there it plug is. your ears. And um, sensitive adults, close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there was an announcement at the oh. show that went over like a lead balloon. Um, and you'll be happy to hear that the reaction is extremely negative. But it was the Bride of Pinbot 25th anniversary edition. And... Um, and how they I, choose I saw I saw the flyer before it was announced oh. and um which you sent to me thanks <laughs> you're welcome yeah i was it kind of broke my brain a little bit cuz first of all like it, it it's dutch pinball okay well let's be clear for a second dutch pinball announced bride of pinball 25th anniversary super limited edition they're making 25 of these for $12,500 each. 25 too many. <laughs> yes. And essentially is the Bread of Pinbot 2.0. Um in but but they're exact same layout as the Bread of Pinbot with all new art um and the 2.0 rule set. And the art looks absolutely hideous. Like, the price is offensive. Yeah, Tommy and Taylor it, it, talked about the level. price. Like, they did a breakdown of how much it would cost to get a really nice bride and add the 2.0 right. and redo the side art and, like, get it all clear for, like, to make a really stellar bride. How much would this cost? It doesn't make sense. Then take yeah. that price, double it. Then give a big middle finger to Python. <laughs> literally start pissing all over his grave and then turn this really cool amazing looking female character in pinball into like i can't sex i can't even is is there a flashlight in the coin door because this is fucking ridiculous it's ridiculous this is the most insulting horrible thing i have seen in pinball and i can't even tell you how long like i was speechless Anyone who saw it was just like, what? Why? Why would you Why? do this? If you're trying to show respect for a thing which, you know, hearing about Dutch, they made 2.0. They obviously love Pride. What the hell were they thinking? And did they did yeah, they not went, ask anyone wrong. else? Like, did they never say, hey, guys, we should show this art to an outside person aside from the two or three of us who are looking at it? Nope. No, because everyone would tell them they were insane. This is horrible. So when it was shown, <laughs> so it, it that was exactly the reaction everywhere. Is why, like, why, why, like, <sighs> why not create a sequel to the Bride of Pinbot and 
maybe not trample all over what was already there and what or why not just sell more bride 2.0 kits they're cheaper manufacturer they're lowest risk oh my god yeah well and if you're saying we're gonna do this you know we're gonna do a new release that's the 2.0 fine the theme of 2.0 do like a cool outer space like spaceship docking thing like do that instead don't take iconic pinball imagery and just destroy it what was the name of that uh 90s computer animated tv show like reboot or something wasn't it called reboot uh well i'm gonna look this up reboot yes uh it was a it aired from 1994 to 2001 um it was a cgi animated show where back then kind of cutting edge but everything looks plasticky and shiny and because you know how computer graphics looked back then that's how it looks in this and that's not the offensive part but it looks lazy and they're charging a super premium now what is offensive like i said the the price was one level offense you went over the whole sex bot offensive level thing but i i've tried to ask myself beyond the why this happened that the how it happened and it, and it's a couple of things either people haven't been loud enough that we're kind of tired of the adolescent sexism like have we just not been loud enough about that and that's how this happened or other people are saying oh maybe it's a cultural thing or whatever i don't think so because you have to sell to your audience and the audience has kind of started to reject a move beyond that right i mean i know there's a segment of it and you see it every time you drop in on Pinside or whatever and you see threads devolve into talking about how hot this woman is or whatever and that's what they're discussing about this person there's a segment of that but i think by and large we've really tried to move beyond that we've tried to be more inclusive we've tried to kind of scrub out the sexist elements as best we can and i think that for this to pop up and it's not even like with a wink and a nod where you know python in his original art and his presentation he made it sexy but he didn't do it in a trashy way right right um it wasn't robo ass all over the place yeah and like well let's redo the bride but let's yeah let's make sure she gets a butt lift and a boob job let's let's give her some flowing space dreads locks of hair (laughs) and um it just and then like in her human form she looks like she's like 14 oh my years God. old in that the thing. whole thing so, the whole thing well it's it's yeah. like a small child who's like i'm gonna draw this face that i saw on this thing cool let's slap it on this machine now and i think that you you bring up an interesting point like people moving away from but you have to make a conscious effort to move away from just the, the sexism that exists and has existed in pinball and i'm not yeah. like I don't try not to get on a high horse about this. I run a women's pinball league. Like I am involved in getting women more involved in the hobby in different ways and making women feel more comfortable and accepted in pinball environments. But you have a large segment of the population, pinball community and larger, that has no interest in changing the way that those things are and has no, like just, just doesn't have a desire to move outside of that box. So if the people from Dutch are only surrounding themselves with the people and opinions who agree with them that this is great and this is really cool, 
then that's what we're going to get. And a lot of people aren't comfortable speaking up about it because it puts them in an awkward situation or whatever, but everybody needs to get over it. And the people who are supporting women in pinball and want more women in pinball need to come together and help everyone work towards a community that's going to be open and welcoming and that's going to say when stuff like this comes up which i'm really pleased that the number of people who have said this is bullshit because it is so it's really refreshing to finally hear people say this is bullshit which didn't really happen for ronelli aside from from my understanding because i was still very new at the time that that was coming out i saw that there were a lot of women who were vocal about it but i didn't see a lot of dudes who were saying anything so this was pretty refreshing this time around like People sent me messages saying, have you seen this ridiculous shit? And you were one of them. So yeah. just that is, I guess, good. And if we needed Dutch to do something so abysmal and horrible to get some more people to speak up and be like, this is not cool, then I guess that's a positive. But still, they should absolutely 100% not make these. And maybe they won't since they already can't get Lebowski put out. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. This is the biggest head shaker of the entire announcement. Is in their presentation, they said, and a prototype of this exists. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's in the hands of ARA. Cool. They're the ones that have possession of the Lebowskis. So it's like we're announcing this, but we can't do anything until we get this issue resolved. Like, oh, you serious? Like, oh, okay. Um, and, and you know what? Like, everybody who's dealt with the Dutch guys say they're good guys and everything, and they probably are, but there is a, there's a blind spot that exists within Dutch pinball towards uh, just common sense um, in some aspects. I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell this. They thought they could get 25 to 50 people excited about it to the point where they would feel competitive with each other and they'd want to get on those lists and they'd want to pay for it. And the margins are so insane that they could free up their big Lebowski shipments and still afford to have the bride paid off. But it's just, it's not going to work. Uh, they, they needed to come out with a much better product. This is so tone deaf. Honestly, yeah. And honestly, they should have just sold more bride 2.0 kits. And I think they're, they're making those. Um, but that's going to cannibalize their own cells for this SLE. Who cares? Go back to the kits. Yeah. Just, this is Abandon this idea. This is terrible. You still have time since you don't have games in hand. And it doesn't sound like you're going to. So just back away. Bow up gracefully. Uh, early April Fool's joke. Burn all translates. And let's just pretend this never happened. Yeah, that would be best. So... Um... But you're welcome for the flyer. I'm sure you framed it. I was at work and I was like, what is this envelope I got? I was really excited. I got a present at the office. I opened it up. I was like, hey, Jeff. Like, <laughs> it's like, cool. Here's the flyer plus another one that I hadn't seen before, which was even worse. The postcard. Oh, God. The postcard one was so bad. Yeah. So you know what's going to be great about that, though? is the game will never get produced and that will be this really rare collectible <laughs> item that, that people will be like hawking on eBay for hundreds of dollars or oh something. Oh my god. But... I can't handle it. It's just the most ridiculous shit. <laughs> <laughs>
it happened though, and it was real. So. Oh, I I wish I had been at Texas just so I could have laughed when they like were just like, "Here's a flyer for the." Okay, sure, sure it is. Good job, guys. Well, and okay, that was the thing. This woman podcast spent so much time talking about the cost, and they never once mentioned the artwork. I was waiting for it. I was like so <laughs> ready. I listened to podcasts in the shower, and I was like, I stayed in there a little bit longer because that part was so funny. I was just like, oh my gosh, they're gonna go off about the art. They're gonna go. No, no. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do it. <laughs> oh. oh. I know. That's uh, everybody let out a collective sigh for Dutch Pitman. Oh boy. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that by some chance, um we're not exaggerating. It's it is a true. No, train save night. yourself. Go Do not go look at it. Just preserve your wonderful memory of bride in all of her glory. Do not do not do this yeah. to yourself. And yet, like being honest, um, I'm not trying to pile on like it's time to pile on Dutch. Like, I didn't like the updated art that they released with 2.0. Um, I thought it was a step back from the original side art and stuff, so that never tempted me. I have played 2.0, and I, I appreciate what they tried to do. I didn't think it was all that great. Uh, I thought it was a real exercise in chopping wood. Um, I was able to play through all the code had to offer at Pedagogo, and I think I was head down playing it for like almost an hour to get through it. Um, I get why people like it because it kind of freshens up what, for a lot of people, is a pretty simple game. But you could still play the original way. Um, if you bought one of these anniversary things, you have no way of seeing the original awesome art. So if you want to have the 2.0 experience do what this flipping podcast said get a beater bride a pin bot go and buy a new mirko play field put a 2.0 kit in it saves seven thousand dollars so 2.0 is super fun i i've had the chance to play it in a few locations and i actually really enjoy it um so highly recommend that as well as regular bride i know some people are like oh it's the same shots over and over again i was like cool but they're shots that if the machine is set up properly, it's difficult to accomplish the things you want to accomplish, and it provides a challenge, and it's satisfying when you do it, and when you enter Billionaire's Club, and all that stuff. Like, I dig it, and I really like how the new code changed things up, so you've got two great options already. Ignore this, Yeah. whatever we're going to call this. Sure, sure, sure. It, it's silly. Um, it definitely took the heat off the Batman... SLE thing. I guess that's what they did. Is they, It's the same price as that and they said, well, if they can sell 240 of those, we can sell or 120, I guess it was. Um, then we can definitely or 60? 60 SLEs. That's right. If they can sell 60 of those, we can sell 25 of these. But again, there's some tone deaf leadership going on there. We, we don't need to harp on it anymore. But yeah, yeah, that was the thing that really, really happened. So, um, since we're talking about happy, fun, fuzzy, warm feeling things, uh, let's continue (laughs) with that and talk about the, and, and we can be kind of surface level on this because it's a ways away still. And there's probably a lot of discussion left to be had, but, um, the IFPA announced that there was going to be a change in, um, tournaments that offer 
uh, Whopper points. Mm -hmm. And the way it's always been is in order to have an IFPA event, all you needed to do was have it posted um, on the IFPA website and elsewhere. It could be a Facebook page or it could be a website um, announcing it uh, 30 days in advance, right? Yep, 30 days in advance. Okay, so 30 days in advance and then um, there's obviously some formats and stuff that you had to kind of adhere to, but essentially you could run your event. Um, it was up to you as the tournament director um, if you wanted people to pay to play, how you want to do your cash payouts, whatever. That was all up to you. You just needed to make sure that you followed those certain guidelines um, for reporting and, um, like I said, some of the formats that you could use. But now, um, if you want to get those Whopper points awarded for each player um, that is going to participate and earn Whopper points, you have to submit one dollar to the IFPA. And what is that so one dollar for? That one dollar supports prize payouts at the state championship series and nationals. So essentially over the course of the year these hundreds of IFPA events will be sending in money to make the end of year events um, nationals and state championships more lucrative for the winners there uh, to increase their prize pools. The idea from their end is that it would make it so people would feel more, ob not obligated, for more incentivized to travel for those tournaments. Um, if you win your state they really want you being the one to come down to nationals. Their hope is that the prize pool is enticing enough that they don't have to go with an alternate person, that the champion is just going to always want to make that trip. Um, I'm sorry, was this a huge issue? Were there states that just weren't showing up? Because so far as I know, the people who won were excited to go down and participate, and it wasn't like they had states that were just like, no, we're not going to go. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was a major issue or not. I think more than anything, people just complained, but people complain about everything. So the so you either get the idea 16, you know, 16 people complaining for each state, yeah, or I, you have everyone complaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think the idea is that if you won state, the money that you'd win from state could pay for your trip to nationals. Um, but, yeah, I... I it, what, what it really does is it hurts um, areas where pinball is still kind of growing. Um, so what you either have to do is you either have to charge someone a dollar. Um, if your event was going to be free, you either have to charge them a dollar or you as the tournament director is going to have to eat it out of pocket. Um, uh, f say like it's a charity tournament. And oh, yeah. Let's say it's a charity you know, tournament because I asked Josh yeah, about so this earlier. It, it still requires the dollar if you want the Whopper it point. It sure does. So we do, we do a couple of uh, charity tournaments per season in our league. And the last one that we did was like a toy drive one. And we collected toys to give to a uh, lo local charity and went to some families um, and low-income uh, situations. And we didn't collect money for that if you brought it was a one strike tournament but if you brought um if you brought a toy you could earn a second strike and that was a ifpa whopper tournament uh people were allowed to donate money that would just go to the charities um that they used to buy gift cards for families but nobody had to bring any 
anything um, as far as money went. They didn't even have to bring a toy. They could just come play, support the event. They could earn a second strike with the toy. So now in that same situation, I bet we have 30-some-odd people there. Um, if I wanted to make sure those people got their Whopper points, I would have to pay the $35 or 36 however many we had, or I would have had to collect a dollar. Um, if you're in an area where we have lots of IFPA events, you can't, as a tournament director, eat that very often, because five or six of those a year, and I, all of a sudden I'm sending $200 to the IFPA out of pocket, or I'm demanding $200 for those people who are used to playing for free. And it's not that a dollar's a lot of money, but it de-incentivizes people to come out for those events, especially the charity ones, when they know a cut of it is either not going to the charity or it's no longer free. So a hundred percent. It looks yeah. it looks very bad. It's embarrassing to say, Hey, I'm doing this tournament for charity. Oh, by the way, all the money that would be going to charity, now a dollar per person. So let's say I had one charity tournament where I had fifty people show up. Cool. So this five hundred dollars that we took in for this charity tournament, fifty of it is going to go to IFPA. I don't... Right. And, and the, what? <sighs> yeah. The hard part about it, too, though, is for the people who don't know, say, and the reason is so that it can increase our world. Right. Rating. It's not to help pay administrative fees, because I understand that they put a right. lot of work into, um, you know, going through all the tournaments that are submitted, and... Um, I'm going to I'm going to pull up my conversation that I had with Josh earlier. I messaged him because <laughs> the charity thing to me it was I was like, "Okay, but that this can't possibly be for a charitable cause, right? Like IFPA would promote charity, right? Like they're not going to try and take money out of the pockets of the Alzheimer's Association or uh, you know, like a cancer charity or a kids charity. Like why would they want to take money from that? They obviously would be supportive of that without nope. So, um, Josh said, we will be taking money from the charity in exchange for the Whoppers if they see value in them. So the charity has the option to do the Whoppers or not. So basically, you are paying for Whoppers from a pot which would go to a charitable organization, and I don't feel that that's right. Um, and he, he told me that they spoke to several charities, and so there, there was some conversation about it. Um, and he feels that this was the, the correct decision. Um, he said it's definitely an optional thing. If the charities see value, then awesome. So his, um, his philosophy from our conversation seems to be that if you can drive up participation with Whoppers, you're bringing more money in anyway. Um, and if you decide to do them without Whoppers, then you would bring in less money anyway. So that is what he feels um and he basically said uh that there's only one way to find out if this is going to work and quote if it tanks then we repeal whopper care in 2019 um as i and i responded by telling him that this is their trump moment and we're making whoppers <laughs> great again i um i've seen a lot of comments about this going around I had been taking a break from Facebook and maybe I should have continued to keep uh, on a break with Facebook because man this is this is blowing up um my friend Alexa up in Seattle I asked her if I could kind of um read part of a giant comment string that's happening on her Facebook page right now um because I relate to 
one of the comments that she made very closely, and I think that this is affecting a lot of people. Um, she said, I just won my first pinball tournament that was worth IFPA points. I did the same. Um, I was honestly so happy and proud of myself. Same. I don't have the financial ability to fly to a lot of major tournaments, so I can effectively rule out ever being a highly ranked IFPA player now, despite the fact that I compete two or more times a week and play with a ton of top players. I'm frustrated, saddened, and disappointed. And you can say, it sucks for you, and that's fine, but this impacts a thriving, diverse, and growing community, effectively alienating them from IFPA. And 100% agree with Alexa. Because we have some people who are saying, okay, well, you know, it makes no difference. Like, if you pay $5 into a weekly tournament, for example, in Portland, and the tournament directors pull a dollar per person out of the prize pot, um, that the top four winners would be receiving, and it goes into states. It's very easy to say, yeah, but that money is just going to go back to those people because they're more likely to be the people who are competing in states. However, when you have a pinball community that's growing and thriving, and you have newer players who are accomplishing these things for like the first time, winning or placing in money or, you know, all those sorts of things, I don't think that you should devalue that for them. I don't think that you should say, this would have been the prize pool, but we're going to pull some out for the people who are really good. It's just, it's so demoralizing and it's so deflating to be so gung-ho about being a new player and feeling so supported in the community to then just, I don't, it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like it matches you know, the ideal of growing our community. And, you know, I, I asked Joshua about just, you know, he was very open and, and we had, a, um, you know, a good dialogue going earlier and he understands people's concerns. And, um, you know, he said that they've been feeling the growth that they've seen in the past 11 years. Um, and he said, logistically, from an approval standpoint, that shrinking the number of tournaments that go through IFPA for Whoppers is welcome on their end. So this 100% is also a move to mean that there's less work on their end of things. They want to see a drop in the number of tournaments that get Whopper points. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but I still think there's a, there's probably a better solution for it. Um, I, I don't know, like if if it's a frequency of event type of thing, I don't know. Cause there are some larger cities that have two or three IFPA events a week and it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but should that punish, you know, the smaller areas like here we have maybe one a month, maybe it's probably more like once every two or three months. So where it's really going to hurt, like, the big events, the big shows, whatever, it's nothing for them to skim a dollar out of their 160-player pool um, for all those people who paid $50 in entry fees or whatever. To skim a dollar off for each one of those people is no big deal. But at the community level, it, it's it's going to matter. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it's very minor bump in the road for the areas where they're, they're used to bigger payouts and such. But I don't know. I, I, I do think that growth areas um, are going to pay for that and commu and the community level is going to pay for it. it it's going to be interesting. They, they're open to changing it back, but definitely they're riding it out for a full year no matter yes. what. Like 
yeah. So we this isn't something that it, it's not going into effect until 2018. So we have time to kind of prepare for that. So what I'm going to be doing is every time we have an event, I'm going to kind of mentally check to how I think it would it would change things and I'm going to look at with our league if we can reserve um a very small percentage of our player fees to cover our IFPA events. So what we can try and do is get get an idea of what our participation is going to look like for the year and how much we need to cut out of our own winnings out of league so that we could say we need to save a portion for IFP events. So those people who we get people who show up all the time, it's their first time coming to an event or we only see them for the monthly like IFPA tournament. I don't want to start asking them for a dollar. So I think we're going to start baking workarounds into it um, to where our league covers those especially for the char charity ones. I, I don't even want to mention, hey, bring a dollar. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if we can take that burden on, it, it'll help, but it's kind of, it's just a bummer that it even has to happen. So. It is, and it's, the way that it was announced was super unfortunate um, and intentional. I asked Josh about that too, because it dropped on April Fools, and right. a lot of people posted it initially saying, ha ha, you know, good joke without knowing that this is something that they've been talking about for a long time. So there was the double middle finger, if you will, of like, oh, hey, this is a joke, not actually a joke. So you people are really going to be upset by this thing that's real and happening. Right. And I think that a lot of people felt very badly about that. And Josh is like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm a total asshole, just couldn't help myself. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I, I feel like the there are different definitely different perspectives on this and his is very different than a lot of the people who are newer in the community and who have had this like recent boom of enthusiasm and um you know feel that this is like their pinball family that they're coming into and all the people that they're meeting at events that they're going to and then this just it seems very off base for what people kind of have been feeling in like in the positive realm in pinball it just seems like they're devalued as newer or improving players. And that's really unfortunate. Right. I, I'm not a fan of that. I'm, I'm not a fan of the other option that some people have been discussing where you ask the, you know, the bar or the venue that's hosting your event to put up the dollar per person fee. Um, you know, a lot of times, yes, you're bringing more business in, but that's the trade-off for you know, saying, hey, can we host our tournament here? Like, it's a little bit of both. So now you're doing a double ask for the venue. Hey, we're bringing these people in here, but we want you to kick some of that money back to us. And sure. it's not always a comfortable thing to ask. And if you do a regular thing somewhere, then it's, you know, even more uncomfortable. Um, someone brought up the, the point of an opt-in, you know, how if someone doesn't want the Whoppers, they can opt not to have, not to be included in the, um, you know, the tournament results or the ranking and they can just play it and, you know, go in and have fun and do their thing. But I think that's going to create more work for them if we then say, cool, here are the results and all of these people don't want to be counted for points. Or yeah. that could start to mess up, you know, that could start to mess things up for actual rankings because let's say you go and you walk in to play a tournament that has 40 people who are participating in it. If half of those people say, I don't actually want this counted, now the point value of that tournament is only a 20-person tournament. So it's, 
even less meaningful to the players who are actually going for points. But you don't know that ahead of time. So you could expect yeah. you get your first place that you're going to get points for a 40-person tournament and then it's only a 20-person. Or, you know, it, it just seems like there are so many moving parts to this and I, I don't like seeing my pinball friends upset. Um, you know, and I, I feel like there should, you know, maybe have been a little bit more discussion, you know, with, with folks. So many people seem surprised by this and I'm sure, you know, that Josh and people at the IFA have been talking to people about this. I just don't know if they've been talking to new people. Maybe they're just talking to, you know, people who they know very well. And, you know, just the temperature that I'm taking from my circle, which is a mix of people who are very experienced and people who are, are you know, maybe not the, the people who are heading to state champs. It's just disappointment. And it's, yeah. It's more disappointing than anything else, and it's, you know, I think it's going to be a difficult thing to work around. Some people don't think it's going to be a problem at all, but um, I don't know that it was the best choice. And sure, it's a year, and maybe at the end of that year they realize that this isn't the best way to go about things, and, you know, they see a dip in things, but we also see a dip in participation. Who knows what's going to happen um, and I think that was Josh's point too. We don't know until we try it, um, which is a fair point to take, I suppose. I'm just not a fan of it. And I, you know, personally, am not going to be running out to participate in a lot of this. Right. Um, yeah, as far as the discussion stuff went, there's been a thread for a while now on Tilt Forums where they originally kind of floated the idea and it turned into a discussion. A lot of people saying it'd be di- it ranged from people saying this is great to this will be disastrous for my area and everyone giving the reasons why. So it's worth checking out um, if you're interested, but it is very uh, hardcore pinball crowd that's discussing it. it. It's The newbie is not represented in there at all. So as far as like you mentioned, if they went outside of that, we don't know. But I would say that the majority of reaction was on the negative side. Um, and you know, they're going to say, let's see how it works. And I'll give them that. Like I'm only say, all right, let's go ahead and let's see how it works. But, uh, not much we can do about it at this point. Um, I'm sure once it's in place, there'll be a ton to talk about. Um, when we're getting down to how well people are actually reacting to it. So I just, I feel like we need more support for newer players and more support for casual players. And this is not what this is at all yeah at least not for um competitive pinball as far as like your ranking and such it's just going to probably tune more people out to that side of stuff we'll have to see what that does but um i don't know i i I don't have a whole lot more i don't know if you had any more thoughts on it but i guess i hope it's just not a disaster like i can't see it being like this runaway success i just (laughs) too much so. Yeah. Well, I did. Um, I did have something I wanted to talk about on a positive note because I knew we were going to need something after that, like shake yeah. it off. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have seen any of the videos, um, but our um, pinball pals in Australia, Emily and Dr. John, are doing some yes. really cool videos on YouTube. So if you guys haven't seen them, um, they're 
on John Cosson, C-O-S-S-O-N's YouTube channel. Um, and it's Emily and Dr. John. And Emily is an amazing young um, rad female pinball player in Australia. And her dad, Dr. John, they do um, pinball battles. So they go through their collection and every um, video is a different machine in their collection and they go through some rules and it's, um, you know, framed at sort of explaining pinball in a way that's approachable for younger players. So um, Emily does some really great um, explanations on games and John kind of chimes in and the two of them then battle on the machine together. So they go through rules and then have a friendly competition on there and the videos are super fun like they've got a lot of great personality that they bring and um their machines are gorgeous they have a really fantastic um collection and um i know that emily just competed in this huge tournament where she was sixth out of the 37 like top ranked australian pinball players like she killed it so she's a fantastic yeah. player and um, it's really fun, you know, watching their dynamic and it's very family friendly, not like this episode of the show, but uh, <laughs> they were kind enough to um, reach out for when they heard that I was going to New Zealand for Pincade. Um, so I'm going to get to meet them when I go there and um, they're just wonderful folks and they're doing really great things. And I love the video series and I like that it's something that's kind of aimed towards kids and being able to provide those clear explanations i've learned stuff watching them too so it's not just um for that but it's definitely friendly for families yeah i i actually want to watch it with my kids um i've seen it, what they're doing i think it's really cool um i was watching my seven-year-old play iron man <laughs> iron oh, man geez. a couple of nights ago you're keeping it positive you have to bring up iron <laughs> i had to um and tron he was playing those two games and I've I known he's better than any of his friends and stuff, but I, but I was actually watching him and noticing that he's actually getting to where he's deliberately shooting for stuff. I've tried not to like hover over him and say, "Now hit that, Tyson. Now hit this," or uh, you know, I I just I just kind of want wanted to let him enjoy it and grow into liking it himself before I come in and start doing too much with him. And uh, seeing that he's developing some skills, now I'm kind of feeling like I'm ready to do some stuff. But as I was working on the Ghostbusters, I didn't mention my what I've been doing in pinballs. I got my Ghostbusters playfield back, and boy, that sucker had some issues. But clear coat looks great. Um, so I, I spent hours with my head down in that, and he was playing on the side. And, um, you know, I'm hearing him progress through Tron, and... I, I, I heard him play Cora multi-ball, and then I heard him play in the disc multi-ball, and I heard light cycle multi-ball. Like, this kid's almost a portal. And I look over, and sure enough, all he needed was gem, and he only needed one more gem shot to do it. And I, I didn't want to say anything to him to make him nervous, but um, seeing that kind of content pop up that John's doing with his daughter um, has me excited. Like, he's throwing that on his YouTube page. That's something I can have him watch and maybe – a few more things will click with him or he'll want to do some playing together um, where I am explaining things a little bit deeper. Um, Cause I have to think that's what a lot of these really good young players that we see out there, like Escher Lefkoff um, had to have got started by, they enjoyed it first and then dad or mom stepped in and said, okay, now here's how you 
play this game. Um, so that kind of content being out there is great. And I know Taylor uh, from the Slopen Podcast had mentioned wanting to do something more kid-focused um, as well. So maybe um, they've stumbled upon that format or and uh, that, that might be the way to go about it. But I, I really hope they keep doing it, and I hope it keeps growing and people catch on. So. Definitely. Good to see you Speaking of young players, um, at Texas Pinball Festival, um, uh, Danielle Peck, yeah, who's, <laughs> yeah, Danny, she won the women's tournament and she finished like 20th in the main tournament. Um, yeah, she took home, she, she, uh, played really well. We were, we were there watching and I went to dinner with her and her family, um, for f- the very famous on Pinside Rotor Dave, uh we went out to eat so it was like this midnight celebration dinner uh of sorts um but man it she, for, she just turned we share a birthday so happy birthday danny she turned 15 today um watching her play I, she's going to be around for a long time in pinball um and then she was palling around with josh henderson there who he was the top qualifier in the tournament and she she's like the next coming of the josh henderson type um the kid who at first people think oh, that's kind of cool you know the kids hanging in there with everybody <laughs> but no she's winning now and uh i remember watching escher do that stuff at pinball showdown every year he'd get a little bit deeper and then he was winning and josh henderson used to come to pinball showdown as well and um i couldn't keep up with those kids and now they're way beyond me at, at a level and yeah so congratulations to her for that that was great um yeah and it's not like she didn't have steep competition on the women's side there were some very good players yeah my friend ellen got second um she was super impressed with danny when they were playing and um it sounds like they had some great matches and that was on my list too i love um i love hearing these stories and of course i'll get to meet danny finally when i get out to new zealand and uh, i'll have some bell shirts in tow for her and emily so spreading the love yeah yeah that's cool. Yeah, they they went to a actual sudden death playoff on Doctor Dude, and they both played well on it. But it, it it was one of those situations where it's like, oh, it's a bummer they can't just both win <laughs> at this point. But there are no ties in pinball finals. Right. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, I didn't do so great on the tournament. I I I would say I didn't play my entries all that intelligently. Um, and I knew it while I was doing it. I was kind of burning through them. And, uh, it was funny cause I, when I stopped playing, I was the top qualifier in B and then I just watched it slow, slowly <laughs> erode as it went down and I would have been fine in B, but then all of a sudden, okay, now I'm top qualifier in novice. And I'm, I'm like texting people. I'm like, if I qualify, I'll play it, but I don't, I don't want to play in the novice finals. And I was hanging in there. It's like, Oh no. And it was probably only 20 minutes left of qualifying. I fell below the cut line, but I was the first cut out. And I was like, okay, thank goodness. Cause that, I, I didn't, I didn't want to play in that. Um, nothing against it. It's just no. the reason that I was eligible for it is I don't play in a lot of events per right. year. Right, so you would have been one of but... those people who shows up on a novice tournament who I've seen before. Yeah. Where it's like, you are not a novice. Like, you're definitely not. And it should go by more than ranking. Like, you should know you don't belong in there. Yeah. Or, or it could have been a thing that maybe... Um, I mean, at Pinball Showdown one year, I actually... Uh, oh, jeez... I can't remember if it was two or three years ago. Um, 
was uh, I was even thinking because there was there was several kids playing at that point. Um, Zach McCarthy, he's one of those kids that's really good, and Escher and all this stuff. And I was like, do I really want to be, be the one that qualifies <laughs> with them? And and then that's my competition. But um, I I almost went in and said, hey, if I don't make the cut for A, I'm fine just giving up a spot for B. But I took it, and thank goodness one of those kids are the ones that knocked me out. So. <laughs> But no, I didn't. I didn't want to go into the novice finals. That's yeah. for sure. So uh, maybe, maybe that will mean more when uh, <laughs> those whopper points become a little bit harder to come by in 2018. Well, novice so. tournaments can't be worth points anyway, so yeah, better off just sticking with those. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm out of mentions except for uh, I don't know if you do. If you have a few things, there's some. A few quick things I was going to mention, but I don't know if you have anything first. Oh, I have quick things if you want to do yours first. Yay. Yeah. No, go ahead with yours, and then I'll I'll do the oh, wrap-up. Okay. Um, so last episode, obviously, Bowen was here in Portland. Um, the uh-huh. tutorial that he did with Bells and Chimes is up on our YouTube channel. So um, if you go to YouTube and search uh, Bowen Karen's Congo tutorial, that will show up. It's a super fun video that we did. I'm going to be adding more videos to the YouTube channel. We played um, a game of tag team on Congo where you tap out with a partner. So you're playing as partners and every 20 seconds or 10 seconds it goes down um, on the last ball. You um, yell tag and the person has to take their hands off the flippers, tag someone and run in to keep playing the ball. Um, so we had some very fun games on Congo that I'll be putting up this week on the YouTube channel. And I'm still trying to do the Twitch thing. Um, Bell's Pinball PDX. <laughs> I just got a new computer. It recognizes my face. It's crazy and scary. Um, but I got a new computer, so I'm going to start streaming again. And if you want to watch some mediocre pinball, that's where you can find me. Very cool. Um, all I wanted to do was, uh, yeah, you mentioned Bowen. He was on last show. That was a lot of fun. And... Awesome that he was able to throw together that Congo tutorial. Um, some of the things I want to mention. Um, I mentioned uh, some of the people I was hanging out with at, Pin, at Texas Pinball Festival. The Peck family. That was a lot of fun. Um, Lee from Pinball Supernova. It was uh, fun playing with him and talking about, you know, watching he's, he's taking videos for his site and stuff like that. That guy... Uh, I wanted to give him a special shout out because like Don and I you were big fans of the old Pinball Head website and uh, that site used to post everything and Pinball Supernova does that now so if you ever want videos about anything whether it's mods or new stuff coming out Lee's generally on top of it um, and he has a really cool perspective on stuff super positive guy but 100% honest as well so um, that was fun uh, just the whole TPF team, they did a great job at the show. Um, I'm not going to get in and name everybody I hung out with because that would just be terrible. <laughs> I know I'd accidentally forget someone. Um, but there's just it, it, the community in pinball. We've got our bad eggs, whatever. But as a whole, like it's a pinball is generally uh, an activity you can go and um, 
no matter how different you are, when you're standing and playing a multiplayer game of pinball and you're just talking about what's under the play field, it just feels like you're hanging out with friends, whether you know the person or not. And just that random time when you're in a big long line and the person in front of you gets up, they turn around like, hey, do you want to make it a two-player game? And you're like, sure. You chat for five, ten minutes. Maybe you move to two or three machines together from there, and then you probably never see the guy again. But you had a good time, and it felt like you're hanging out with a buddy. I, I just love that. And, I, and that happened a lot at Texas Pinball Festival, so... It was a lot of fun. Um, as far as final shout-outs, just one to Measle Mods. They've always supported the show. Um, Tim and Kristen were both at Texas Pinball Festival. Tim's 50th birthday was during the show, and we hung out there, and that was a good time. They're always awesome. Support Measle Mods and all they do because they're good people. Um, Ulex Store. Also, they've been an awesome help for the show, and they make great mods and our trophy this year for league uh, was made by ulex store and i think it looks great and i showed it off because we only have a couple more weeks before our finals and i showed it off at this last week at league and people were going nuts for it and i think it kind of amped up the intensity to qualify a little higher for end of season tournament shout outs (laughs) and uh that's all i've got i'm exhausted um for those that don't get to see behind the curtain we spent a good hour and a half trying to get my microphone to work i might sound a little tinny this week because my main microphone just what i'd get about two minutes of talking and 10 minutes of downtime on it um so yeah we would have had a lot of spanish fly yeah and uh this is working but I'm, I'm sure it doesn't sound as good as normal and i'm gonna rush the edit because i'm going to hawaii tomorrow I'm excited about that um but we don't have to tell them where they can find us because I got a new person to pre-record an outro. So what? How about that? That's crazy. And a talk. new intro. What? So I right. had to scrub. I had to scrub Don's name out of it. He's like Aww. on. He's on like who knows for how long hiatus, and um, the robotic voice is just it was just too much work. To, right, we'll to save, save that intro forever for when he comes back. Oh, it, yeah, it's it's there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have any last-minute thoughts. Nope, That's, this has been fun. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, um, get on that Bop 25th list. It's going to fill up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to go be sick. Thanks. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. You can email the Pinball Podcast at pinballpodcast at gmail.com. Find us online at thepinballpodcast.com, on Facebook, on Instagram, or on Snapchat. Check the show notes on our website to see how to support our sponsors and friends of the show. Yay, pinball!